This has been a strange and unusual year. For a good part of the year, Coot Street has been calling up readers and book lovers from around the world to ask them what they're reading, what they'd recommend, and what they're up to. Today, I'm joined by the best-selling co-author of The Expanse and the author of some of the finest fantasy and science fiction novels I've read, newly minted Hugo Award winner Daniel Abraham, who joins me from somewhere in New Mexico. Hello, Daniel. Hello, how's it going? Not too bad. We're sort of surviving the pandemic kind of madness. I happen to be in a a little corner of the world where it hasn't hit very hard. We're isolated and have no community transmission, so life's kind of normal-ish. How's it for you? How have you been dealing with the kind of craziness? I have been at home since February. <laughs> have you been That's, like out in the I, yard or <laughs> I, I we were I was very lucky. I moved uh, my my wife and I and my my daughter moved last summer into uh, a house with a large backyard and some extra space. So we haven't gone completely bonkers yet, but uh, no, we've been essentially at home with like short runs out to do occasional light, uh, drop things off, pick things up sort of errands um, since since late February. Yeah. Um, and it's you know the, we're we're in a state that has a pretty good pandemic response. We have um, science-based policy that are keeping things more or less on an even keel. But my nation is uh, failing in its pandemic response in ways that I think the entire world is uh, aware of and looking at in dismay and horror, uh, including us. That seems like a fair so, summary. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm. A, continue to be very optimistic about the vaccines coming up. I continue yeah. to be very optimistic about the efficacy of mask culture, and I continue to expect hundreds of thousands of my fellow citizens to die before this is over. Yeah. Well, if many of the writers that I've spoken to, particularly when I ask them about how they're coping, talk about how well they're normally shut in anyway. You know, they work from home, they go they go to their office, you know, sort of somewhere else in the same building, and that's their day. Uh, but but I think there's something really profoundly different about being at home and being shut in at home. Do you find yourself you've been able to like to function, to work, to do those kind of things? It varies. There are, there are weeks that I'm um, feeling very very you know on and I'm getting a lot of stuff done and I feel very good. And then there are weeks when I don't notice what happened and it's over. I, I, uh, you know, I struggle and then I don't struggle and then I struggle again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell me, have you been able to, to, to read? Is it, is it, you know, sort of, or is that something that comes and goes to? I, I have been able to read. Um, I have been able to, to kind of catch up on some of the things that I was wanting to do. And, um, I have, I mean, my to be read pile is longer than my life. So I, I, I've come to peace with that, but, um, I think there's a, a, a real escape for me, a real consolation yeah. in, in being other places that, uh, that the books provide. Sure. Of course. Well, let me ask you then, I mean, what have you been reading lately and critically is it any good? 
Um, well, it varies. I mean, I'm I, I'm an omnivore. I uh, am reading some stuff that's quite terrible, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm reading some stuff that's very good. Um, right now, I, one of the things that I've I've found myself doing recently is uh, I get a book on tape, mm-hmm. and I of a book that I own. Yeah. And I read along with the book while someone tells me the story. So I'm actually following it on two different levels, yeah. uh, which has been kind of one of my, my tonics for being on the Internet too much, for mm-hmm. kind of living on this interrupt machine um, that it is built to distract me. It's a way to really focus in on the story. Right now I'm reading uh, Tim Powers' Last Call, which is – book that I've always loved um, and it's wonderful to come back to that's a wonderful reader it's a great book uh, and you can see all of the places in it that Tim Powers didn't quite understand how much he was going to have to pay to get the T.S. Eliot quotes because they just kind of <laughs> leave him out of the audiobook uh, see some craft stuff in there too um, the best thing I have read this year uh, is uh, Carmen Mercado's In the Dream House. I don't know yep. if you've seen that one. I've heard of it yet. Um, that was not supposed to work. I was I was going to it expecting it to be um, fun and gossipy and catty maybe. I don't know. It's, it's mm-hmm. talking about a, a, a failed relationship. And it's it's sure. nonfiction. Um, and my experience talking about my failed relationships is that I get some very funny lines out of it, but it doesn't actually, it's not a lot of depth to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what she did with that book was astounding. Um, yeah. it, it's one of the best books I've read all year. Uh, yeah. so that's, that's, I, I, I have this, this thing. I, I always say that uh, a perfect book is one that you read in two days and remember in two years. Yeah. I think she, have written a perfect book. At, well, given her collection of stories, I'm not particularly surprised, but it does sound like a a fascinating and challenging book. It shouldn't work. If she was less talented, it would have failed. But she's viciously talented, and um, it was it was amazing. There was one moment in it when it's kind of the big revelation of of how this whole thing comes down. And um, it was so unexpected and perfect that I just started laughing. It was not funny, but it yeah. was it was uh, a, uh, a revelatory moment. And it yeah. just landed. Um, yeah. And the things that she has to say about archival silence and the kind of stories that don't get told... Um, I think generalize way beyond what she maybe even intended. Sure. Um, Cause I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm reading about uh, a, an emotionally abusive relationship, emotionally abusive lesbian relationship, uh, which of course I have never been in, um, mm-hmm. but I have been in emotionally abusive relationships and the amount that she has to say about um keeping kind of the stories of those experiences quiet, not having those enter the, the, the larger body of stories told about relationships. 
and the stories about um, men who go through um, the the fuzzy end of the lollipop on an emotionally abusive relationship. Um, there's more overlap in it than I had expected. And yeah. there's more in there that I recognized that I thought, you know, was unexpected and wonderful. So love, so, love, thought that was great. So let me ask you, you've, you've, you're rereading the, the, this older, wonderful book. You've encountered this terrific book earlier in the year. Are there, given the kind of times we're in, books you'd recommend generally or books from your, your own reading in the past you'd recommend, you know, challenging books, comfort reading books, things that you think might be rewarding or enjoyable for readers? The one that um, I have gone back to over and over through the years for consolation um, is actually absolutely appropriate right now. Um, Camus' The Plague Mm -hmm. is a, I mean, it's a classic and don't let that put you off. Uh, it's a tremendously humane, thoughtful, interesting book about really the kinds of times that we're in right now, both literally and, uh, metaphorically because it, it's the story of a city in plague time. And it's a story that is interpreted often. And I, think pretty clearly as uh one that's talking about fascism and um this kind of politics of cruelty that we also see going on in the world right now yeah and um it's beautifully written and it's wonderfully humane and it manages to be hopeful without being sentimental and it's yeah i i would recommend that one as a a place to go for consolation, maybe not for comfort. Okay. Well, you mentioned that you have been working over the last four months of this or whatever it is, 10,000 years of this madness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's somewhere in, somewhere in there, but I can't distinguish exactly where. Um, so tell me, what what is Daniel Abraham being up to? Or do you, what do you have coming out as, as yourself, if you know what I mean? Well, Daniel Abraham has um, actually a new... Um, fantasy trilogy that um, I've, I'm getting notes back on the first volume of that from my editor probably within the next week. So mm-hmm. that's well on its way. Um, it's structurally one of the hardest and uh, most ambitious things I've, I've ever done. I, it may work. It may not. It may be something that 13 people love and everybody else scratches their head. But um, But I really like it. <laughs> Does it have a name? Um, right now, the, the name of the series is The Aspects of Kithamar. Okay. And, and yeah. the first book, um, I have a working title for it that I quite like. And my, my editor has uh, disagreed, as we often do. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it comes out. I've been calling it uh, A Champion of Ashes. Yeah. It may be something else by the time it hits shelves. We'll see. And do you think that's likely to come next year? I believe we are slated for 21 on that one. Yeah, I okay, think that'll well, be it. Fingers crossed. Let me ask you, actually, you're working on the, the, this series and you've got a, a, a formidable track record writing by yourself. You know, I look back at some, you know, some of the earlier novels as very, very, very fondly with admiration. 
do you find it do you find it a good thing to have the balance between your collaborative work and the solo work is it almost is there is there a relief of kind a comfort of kind of some kind to come back to the solo work it is there's there's a joy in not um compromising and having something be what specifically um i want it to be um which is i mean that's a selfish joy i i i'm i'll admit that uh <laughs> ty is a a brilliant storyteller and a great collaborator and if you are going to collaborate with anybody i would recommend that it be ty um but sometimes i want to make my own mistakes too sure um uh, and and um, and James S. A. Corey isn't Daniel Abraham. Dan- James no. S. A. Corey's voice, and James S. A. Corey isn't Ty Frank either. He, that there's a very distinct voice that comes through that project that isn't either of us. Um, but it's nice to have some things that are just in my own voice too. Well, let me ask then, since I probably should, and uh, segueing, well, I'll mention again, congratulations to you and to Ty for your best series, Hugo win uh, last night for The Expanse. That was uh, yeah, a, a that wonderful was and well-deserved thing. Astounding, wasn't it? Didn't see that coming. <laughs> so let me ask you, we have the aspects of Kithamar coming up for Daniel Abraham. What's happening with James S.A. Corey? Jim Corey is in the process of finishing The Expanse. We are, are working on the ninth and final book of The Expanse. Uh, we are wrapping it all up. Um, and then after that, we have another trilogy uh, under contract with Orbit, where we've got a, a three-book series that is going to be uh, very different from The Expanse. It's going to be a very different space within science fiction that we're going to be yeah. playing with and we're we're starting to outline that and talk about exactly what the the structure on that looks like Does so it feel- hopefully hopefully we'll we'll be starting that one um we'll be well into that one by the end of the year we'd does like to feel, have that one does it feel weird facing the end of the expanse not really i mean this is going to be the fourth multi-volume uh story that i will have put to bed yeah um, i did the long quartet that was um four books i did the dagger and the coin that was five i did uh the the black sun's daughter books yeah. um and there's a kind of melancholy that comes with saying goodbye to these characters and to these stories um and there's a satisfaction to it mm-hmm. too um and I'll tell you what, I saw a uh, video of me and Ty from when we started The the Expanse, and we were young. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this for a long time. Well, I guess um, that's what I mean. It's like, it's a time of life. I mean, I guess it's sort of also skewed a little bit or uh, varied by the fact that you know, you'll finish the ninth book, it'll come out. 21, 22, whenever it comes out. But hopefully you have the TV show, which will go on for several years further. So even though part of the Expanse will be finished, another part of the Expanse will actually continue for a while after. You won't be done with it, done with it. Yeah, that's true. But the books really have a weight of their own. Um, There's a... 
there's the part where it's part of my career and part of what I yeah. do and part of uh, what I create. And that's, and that's awesome and fun. And I'm lucky to have that as uh, a job, but narratively there's a thing that happens when you get to the last sentence in the last book where all of this stuff has been built to kind of that moment. Mm-hmm. And then it's, and then it's gone. Then it's just, so will you entice it down of a quiet drink, do you think, at that point? Um, we may not be in the same state when that happens. I think we will both have a quiet drink, but I don't know if we'll be together. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I should ask, I mean, season four of The Expanse was remarkable. Season five is finished, done, coming along? Season five, uh, we wrapped principal photography right before the pandemic really hit so we have all of the the footage uh and it is in the process of post right now it's going mm-hmm. through uh the color correction and the mixes and getting the the visual effects and special the visual effects put in and uh and it's really good i mean i i i my experience watching the show isn't like other people's experiences because i've seen it in every level of undress on the way in and uh, all I can see are the, the problems. All I can see are the things we made it, you know, it's like, yeah, that's all right. Oh, I didn't like that line reading this much. Oh, we could have said, yeah, we, we used this scene instead of, Oh, I wish we'd gotten coverage for that. I mean, so it's, it's a, it's a fantastically unrewarding watch for me mm. um, because of my relationship to it. That hasn't been true for me in season five. Yeah. Um, season five, is literally the first season of this that I get lost in as a viewer, even wow. having seen it in all of its different layers. Um, I'm really immensely pleased with this one. Yeah. And do you think we'll see it what, roughly, roughly around Christmas of this year, much as we did with uh, season four? I would not be surprised. Uh, there isn't an official announcement yet no. from the powers that be at Amazon, but, uh, it, you know, I wouldn't. I would certainly not be shocked if it looked pretty similar to what it looked like last year. Yeah, and sort of. I, I should ask as well, just from a, a purely personal, selfish point of view, because it's my interest. Are you still writing short fiction at the moment? Well, will we see much more short fiction from you? I have. I think. I mean, I think the last piece of short fiction I wrote, I wrote for you, um, and for the the Book of Dragons. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there is some other short fiction that I have kind of outlined and uh, or ideas kicking around. I haven't been getting a lot of spare time to devote to that, but it's certainly something I'm, I want to keep doing. I like it. Yeah. Where did Yuli uh, come from, actually? Yuli came from um, a couple of different places. I, I had... Um, an idea about dragons as a uh, kind of the question of why why do dragons hoard gold? Yeah, well, I mean they don't spend it. They don't you know they're not going to buy stuff with it. It's not you know they're not doing any kind of heavy circuitry work. They don't care about the electrical capacity of gold. I mean, what's what's the the joy of it? Um, and the answer being that what they want isn't the gold it's the fight 
Yeah. Uh, it's the, the, the battle and the, the enemies that the gold calls to them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was also reading Joe Hill. Um, okay. And if you read Joe Hill's uh, zombie story? Yeah. Best zombie story ever done, no zombies in it. Yeah. Um, and the idea of taking the dragon and making it really explicitly uh, a, a metaphor and taking this, this, this old warrior who uh, his life was kind of on hold and over and his hunger for the violence that he had been a mm. part of um, and comparing that to basically smog. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in a D in a, in an explicitly D and D setting. Yeah. Um, that was, that was, uh, those were the, those were the ideas that came into that one. And I've also really wanted to write, um, some crime and horror. Yeah. And this, and Yuli was essentially a crime story. Yeah. Um, it was it was sort of testing those waters. I have and to say, I for one would love to have seen more of it. Um, I think it's a really really strong piece, and I it's one of those things where it's it is actually very cinematic. I could see it on the screen in my mind very very clearly. I can I could cast it just about. You know. Well, I'm glad it worked for you. It really, really did, you know, so thank you for it, and thank you for spending some time with me today. I genuinely appreciate it. It's always a pleasure, sir. Hey, everybody. We try to avoid rampant commercialism here on Cood Street, but I'm in the middle of doing something special. Right now, I've got a new book out, The Book of Dragons. I'm proud of it. I love it. And I'm delighted to say that for U.S. listeners, we are giving away 10 copies in conjunction with Harper Voyager. If you would like to be in the sweepstakes to win a, your own copy of The Book of Dragons, hardcover, wonderful illustrations by Ravina Kai, and some great stories, including by Brooke Bolander, Daniel Abraham, and others, please go to the show notes, sign up, and you could get your own free copy. And thank you for your support. Thank you for supporting the book and for supporting the podcast.